Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a weekly podcast from The Local. Today we're talking about the significance of carnival in many parts of Germany. We're asking why so many people are failing driving tests and we have some tips on learning to drive here and how to change a foreign license into a German one. A new draft law on a reform of the immigration system has been released, so we'll give you an update on that, including what it means for the EU blue card and international students. It's a year since Russia launched a full-scale invasion on Ukraine. We'll talk about how Germany has changed since then, and we'll hear from political analyst Jessica Berlin to get her views. And stay with us until the end when we share a few life hacks to make living in Germany that bit easier. I'm Rachel Loxton and I'm in Berlin today with the lovely Sarah McGill and equally lovely Rachel Stern, two great journalists. Hello. Hi, Rachel. What a lovely introduction. You deserve it. (laughs) Hi, Rach. I'm flattered. Thank you very much. No problem. Sarah, what's been going on with you? Well, yeah, I've been traveling quite a lot. I've been in five different countries in the last week because I drove a car back from Italy and have been looking for wedding locations. So I am very happy to be back in Berlin, I have to say, and not on the road. Oh, that's exciting. And we're going to hear more about driving from you in a little bit. And Rachel, are you well? I'm doing really well. Yeah, I'm glad to be back here the second week in a row. And it's nice to have some more mild weather right now, even though uh, we're entering uh, another cold front soon, but I thought I will enjoy it while it lasts. So we're recording this on Wednesday, February the 22nd. It is Ash Wednesday and it's the end of the carnival season. And carnival is huge in some parts of Germany. So we're going to talk about the culture around it, recap on how it all happened, because this is, of course, the first time that there were no real worries about COVID and there were no restrictions. So people were really able to let go and enjoy it. Rachel, did they enjoy it? Oh, they definitely did, especially the cities around North Rhine-Westphalia. Those are where the carnival strongholds are. I had been preparing since the carnival season started on November 11th. And so this year there were pretty much as many parades, as many dancers, as many revelers as you had back in 2020, um, right before Corona really got started. And Mm -hmm. it was a really festive celebration, of course, with a lot of political themes in the parades this year. Yeah, that's interesting because Rosenmontag, of course, is the big highlight, I think, isn't it? And that happened on Monday. And there are always great floats. Um, So what were they like this year? Yeah, that's a good question, Rach. So following the war in Ukraine, it's no surprise that a lot of the floats had themes such as Putin, 
in a bathtub which had the Ukrainian flag on it. And then there was one with Olaf Scholz being literally rammed into action with a ram. And then probably the most noticeable one was Putin kissing the devil. And that was meant to invoke um, one of the most famous pieces of art along Berlin's East Side Gallery. And in it, the former East German leader, Eric Honecker, was kissing the former Soviet leader, Leonard Brezhnev. Mm-hmm. Okay, so very political, all about the war, uh, Russia's war in Ukraine. That's right. And was that in Dusseldorf? Yeah, the political floats were mostly in Dusseldorf, but you also saw some in cities such as Cologne and Mainz, which were also quite quite big strongholds for carnival celebrations. And Sarah, can you share what people should know about carnival in Germany? Because it differs in regions, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, firstly, carnival is mainly celebrated in the cities along the River Rhine, as Rachel just said, Cologne, Dusseldorf, Mainz, but also Munich in Bavaria also hosts a big celebration. And it has different names in different regions. So in the Rhineland, they use the term Carnival, but in Bavaria and Saxony, they call it Fasching, and people from Hesse and Saarland call it Fasnacht. Yeah, and the main celebration day is Rosenmontag, which was this Monday, where there are parades and people dress up and there are also these floats. Uh, in Mainz, the parades feature a quite a strange character with a huge papier-mâché head called Schwellkup. He kind of follows the, the floats around. Uh, yes, it's it's pretty <laughs> creepy. And um, in the Rhineland, there's also a tradition on Carnival's Dienstag, so the day between Rosenmontag and Asher Mittwoch, mm-hmm. uh, which is called Nubelverbrennung or nubble burning, where a traditional life-size straw doll is set on fire, like a scene from The Wicker Man. Do you like that, Sarah? You look I, scared. Uh, no, I find <laughs> it all a little bit creepy, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, it is. And, and the place, some places just go wild for Carnival, as you said, and a lot of the places you've mentioned. So it's taken so seriously here. Yeah, I think there's also definitely like a lot of drinking involved. Oh, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Thank you both for those updates. Let's move on now to driving in Germany. A new report has found that the number of driving license exams taken in Germany reached a record high last year. But more people than ever are actually failing the test. Rachel, can you tell us more? Yeah, Rach. So in 2022, there were a total of 3.6 million practical and theory tests taken, which is a record number even exceeding the previous high in 2019. But recent figures from the Federal Motor and Transport Authority have revealed that um, 39% of the theory test and 37% of the practical test were failed last year. Wow. I mean... Why is that? (laughs) Yeah, so there are two big reasons behind that. Um, One is just that the perception of traffic has changed, according to the vice chairman of the Association of Driving Instructors. And he said that younger people no longer have a quote-unquote natural affinity for traffic as they used to because they're used to looking at their smartphones all of the time, whether they're crossing the road on foot or even scarier when they're actually in their cars. And he said that because of that, they're not paying as much attention and are quite distracted when they're on the road. And then he also said that over the past 20 years, the driving rules in Germany have become increasingly more complex. And there's also 
way more cars and way more traffic on the road. So it's kind of a perfect storm of factors. And Sarah, you've actually done the driving test in Germany, right? What was it like? Well, it wasn't great, Rachel. Um, (laughs) It took me three attempts. On the first attempt, I just had a complete panicky meltdown and had to stop after five minutes. Yeah, it was horrible. And then on the second, I ignored a giveaway sign. And then, yeah, on the third attempt, I finally passed. But the horrible thing about the driving test in Germany is that unlike in the UK, for example, you don't get to drive the whole 45 minutes and then find out at the end that you've failed or passed as as soon as you make a a big mistake you hear a beep as your driving instructor puts their foot on the brake and then you know right that's it you failed which is which could happen after two minutes and um yeah it's pretty brutal and it's it's not cheap as well it costs around in total 200 euros to do a driving test so could be a very expensive five minutes and it also i think that adds a lot more pressure to people i think that could Mm -hmm. also be a reason maybe why people are failing the test because you think if i fail then i'm gonna have to pay another 200 euros and is the, is the learning to drive here actually difficult? What's that process like? I personally found it very difficult in Berlin, especially because there's a lot of cyclists, trams. And also I had a very old and very angry driving instructor at the beginning who used to shout at me a lot. So that definitely didn't help. But it's also very expensive. And another thing about Germany is that you can't go out to practice with an experienced driver. You have to pay every time you want to drive and and it's expensive like the average lesson I I would say costs around 70 euros Mm -hmm. so yeah you're losing out on that free driving experience but one thing that I think is good is these so-called Sonderfahrten these special drives you have to do before you can take your test which is driving on the Autobahn driving at night and also driving on country roads I think that's that's really good for making you a better driver yeah definitely so you can't for example go out with a family member or a friend to practice practice a little bit. No, no, you can only do it with a with a driving school. And do you have any advice then for people learning to drive here? I would say as a foreigner in Germany who learned to drive here, I thought, you know, when I had a really bad instructor, I thought, oh, maybe that's kind of the German way and I just need to toughen up a little bit. I would say don't have that perception because, you know, it's completely your right to have a driving instructor who puts you at ease and, you know, it's your money at the end of the day and they should be there to to help you become a better driver. So choose a good driving school and instructor, I would say, is like the best tip. Yeah. So if you're not happy, don't be afraid to move on to another instructor. Definitely. Lots of our listeners have come to live in Germany from abroad. Sarah, how easy is it to change your foreign driving license into a German one? Well, it depends a lot on where you come from and it's not so straightforward. So if you're an EU citizen or from the EEA, you can use your license in Germany as long as you're at least 18 years old. But if you're from somewhere else, then it depends on the kind of agreement that Germany has with your home country or even with your state government if you're from the US. So if you're from the UK, Australia or Japan, for example, you can get your license converted just by making an appointment with the local transport authority and giving them all of the documents that they need. If you're from one of the 10 US states that has a partial reciprocity agreement with Germany, which includes Washington or Florida, then you have to do a theory test. But if you're from one of the countries that doesn't have such an agreement with Germany or also from US states such as New York or California, then you have to do the road test and the theory test again in Germany. That would be really disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I mean, I think a lot of driving schools have like 
shorter, faster, cheaper driving programs for these people, but it's still pretty inconvenient. And it's all in German, right? You can do it in English. Okay. Yeah, and you can also choose to do the theory test in English as well, so at least there's that. I have also read that the theory test can be taken in 13 foreign languages, so you have quite a variety to choose from if you would prefer to speak in your native language or language other than German. Wow, that's actually really good to know because I feel like if you're under pressure... You're not really thinking about your German skills when you're trying to get the driving right, are you? Yeah. No, if I tried to think about German grammar on the road, I'd probably crash and that wouldn't be so good. <laughs> and, and Sarah, is there anything foreign drivers really need to know in Germany now that you have passed your test, you're on the road, you're our expert here? Yeah, well, this is one thing that I discovered recently, bringing a car from Italy to Germany, is that you really have to have a green Umweltplakat or a green uh, environment sticker in most big cities in Germany because there's there are low emission zones. So you they're quite easy to get hold of. You can get them from like a from a lot of mechanics or from a TÜV center, um, and you have to stick it on your windscreen. And it's really important because if you get caught without it, you can get an eighty euro fine, and it's just it's just unpleasant to be pulled over by the police in a big city traffic. Yeah, really good tip. Thank you so much for that, guys. On our podcast last week, we touched on the immigration reforms that Germany is planning, as well as some of the other measures that some politicians are pushing for to attract more talent from abroad, including calls for public officials to speak English. We had really great feedback on that episode, so thank you to those of you who got in touch. Today, we actually have a little update about these immigration reforms. Sarah, what's the latest? So the plans for the wide-scale reform of the immigration system, which were originally announced last year have now been written up into a draft law which was published on Monday. And these plans, as we've talked about before on the podcast, include an opportunity card which amounts to a kind of job seekers visa which lowers the requirements for people to come to Germany and look for work. And it also aims to make it easier for students to be able to work while studying in Germany. And and what do we know about the plan changes according to the draft on the EU blue card? So for a start, the draft sets out proposals to lower the salary thresholds that people currently need to get a blue card. Some of the rules for IT professionals will be relaxed so that people who have career experience or skills can be accepted for a blue card without having to have a university degree. Mm -hmm. And also, once people have a blue card, they should be able to to change job more easily and also benefit from more clear-cut rules for moving between different member states. And also it seems that refugees who have been granted asylum in an EU country should also be able to get a blue card in Germany. Oh, really significant changes planned then. Yeah, absolutely a lot. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about this plan is how it wants to make life easier for international students because international students are often the ones who come and stay in Germany since obviously they're receiving German qualifications, they're um, learning how the German system works, and um, they're more likely just to stay directly after their visa and Up until now, international students are only allowed to earn a very small amount in addition to their studies, even if they're just part-time students. Um, I think they could earn about 450 euros a month. And according to the new plans, um, they would be able to work part-time on the side. There would be less restrictions to the amount of money that they could earn. And they could do another sort of training program on the side, whether it's a vocation 
vocational training program or a program to improve their German. And I find that this means people are a lot more likely to be able to sustain themselves financially and otherwise in Germany after their programs. Definitely. And another thing I thought was interesting from the draft is the talk about making it easier for non-EU workers to get their qualifications recognized. At the moment, the process is very bureaucratic and it differs from state to state. So I think in the future, they want to kind of even make it so that people don't have to always get their qualifications recognized. And I think that will make a big difference. Absolutely. There's a long bureaucratic wait now where people aren't even allowed to work until they have their qualifications recognized. And right now there's a long bureaucratic wait until people can get their qualifications recognized. And under the new plans, they would be able to start working pretty much as soon as they arrive in Germany while they're waiting for this. Yeah. And so, of course, this is just the draft. So there could be changes. It, It has to go through all the process. But yeah, it will be really interesting to see how this turns out. Absolutely. Our Germany in Focus podcast is free to listen to, but it's only made possible by people becoming members of the local. So thank you so much to everyone who is a member of the local. And if you're not a member, you can support our work by heading to thelocal.de and signing up. And please leave a rating or a review and hit follow wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you like what we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. February 24th marks a year since Russia's invasion of neighbouring Ukraine and the war has sparked massive upheaval in Europe with a refugee crisis and a scramble to find new energy sources to pull away from dependence on Russian oil and gas, especially in Germany. We'll hear from political analyst Jessica Berlin soon, but first let's talk about the ways that the war has impacted Germany. Rachel, how has it changed everyday life here? So, Rach, one interesting thing to keep in mind is that after the war started, over 1.1 million Ukrainians came to Germany. And 
There were over 960,000 that stayed and still remained in the country, and that's greater than the number of refugees who came between 2014 and 2016 combined from Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq during Mm -hmm. the refugee crisis. So that's had a huge impact just on the job market, on housing, um, and Ukrainian children who are trying to um, go to school here in a new language for the first time. So one interesting thing to keep in mind as well is that according to the German Chamber of Industry and Commerce, the impact on the economy as a whole translates to a loss of wealth of of around 2,000 euros for every individual in Germany. And a large part of that is just the extremely high energy prices that we've been seeing because obviously Germany was quite dependent on Russian gas and as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine, Germany tried as quickly as possible to cut off all ties with the Russian energy industry and find alternative sources. But while I was doing that transition, it means that the prices of electricity really skyrocketed. And so by December... And gas, and gas, definitely. And so by December 2022, the average wholesale electricity price in Germany stood at 256 euros per megawatt hour, um, which was an increase of some 16% in comparison to the price recorded a year previously. And we're seeing the prices get lower now, but they're still quite high compared to before the war. And then Of course, there was sky-high inflation. It's dropped off a little bit now, um, but at its highest point last year, it was 10%. And that means that food prices and prices of everyday items uh, were really going up. So in 2022, on average, customers paid 13.4% more for their groceries than they did the previous year. Yeah. and, And do you think this has affected people's response to how they feel about the war in Germany? Well, yeah, polls continue to show that people in Germany are very supportive of Ukraine still. And you still see a lot of uh, Ukrainian flags around Germany. There are still also a lot of uh, attempts to to make Germany more inclusive for Ukrainians. And also we saw this week at Carnival, as Rachel mentioned, a lot of anti-war floats. So there's still a lot of general public goodwill. Yeah. Yeah. And at the bakery around the corner from where I live, I noticed after the war broke out that there was a sign in both German and Ukraine. Ukrainian um, trying to hire people who are coming into the country. And the more I looked around, I would notice there were a lot of bilingual German Ukrainian signs trying to offer opportunities to Ukrainians. So I think as a whole, Germans were quite receptive and welcoming and trying to make it easier for people coming to transition into life here. Definitely. And I think we have also seen some stories about areas feeling quite overwhelmed with the the number of refugees, but that's more about infrastructure and not feeling that they don't have enough funding like local councils and things rather than people not being in support of supporting Ukraine. Absolutely. Especially in former East Germany, there's a lot of smaller towns which have taken on a disproportionately high number of refugees and they've been taking to the street to protest, not necessarily because they belong to a far-right movement, but because they're frustrated that they just don't have enough resources to go around for everybody and they want to see a more equal distribution 
percent of people in the country. Mm-hmm. So clearly, uh, a lot of people are affected by the cost of living crisis in Germany as well, and they're angry about that. Absolutely, they're seeing their own wallets affected, and whenever that happens for a longer amount of time, people start to become worried and ask themselves, "How is this sustainable?" Even if, in principle, they do want to help those coming from Ukraine and other parts of the world. Really interesting. Let's hear now from Jessica Berlin, a political analyst and international security expert based in Germany. I started off by asking Jessica to introduce herself and to share how she has been supporting Ukraine. Yeah, I'm a German and American dual citizen and a foreign policy expert. I've worked in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors around the world over the past sixteen uh, odd years. And in the past year, I have been working solely on support of Ukraine on a humanitarian aid level and military aid level, as well as, uh, of course, in German media, trying to help break down for German audiences what is at stake, as well as trying to help international audiences understand better uh, the German political mentality and how we got to this point. And it has been a year since the the full scale invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And German Chancellor Olaf Scholz of the Social Democrats promised a Seitenwende at the time, a sea change in foreign and military policy. Do you think that's happened? Yes and no. Or as we say in German, jein. It's <laughs> a combination of both. So on the one hand, yes, Germany in the past year has broken with numerous taboos in our security policy. The Seitenwende speech, however, was just that. It was a speech. And so the no part of this answer is that what I do not see, and unfortunately what since that speech has failed to materialize, is a real reckoning and awakening of a new strategic, proactive capacity in the German government to define goals, develop strategies, and implement them in security policy. We still are seeing from this government an extremely reactive security policy framework for the last 12 months, what we saw again and again, most famously and most recently, of course, with the leopards and the decision to send German-made leopards to Ukraine. These kinds of decisions were only made possible after months and months of in front of the scenes and behind the scenes pressure and negotiations to get Germany to move the ball forward. And this is troubling because Germany is not Luxembourg. Germany is the largest economy in Europe, fourth largest in the world, and of course the biggest weapons producer in Europe. So at a time when Europe as a whole is facing such enormous challenges um, at a security level, at a foreign policy level, we would need the biggest player in the room to show leadership, vision, and to take a proactive role. But instead, unfortunately, we still see Germany reacting to external pressure, looking around to see what the others are doing, um, and trying to still basically ride on the coattails of American leadership and American decisions, rather than stepping forward to articulate uh, and realize uh, its own vision. And Germany has been criticized quite a lot for this, especially on the, the international stage. Why do you think Germany has dragged its feet so much? Well, that will be uh, the question, the million euro question that will be answered uh, in books and PhD theses <laughs> and investigative reports for years to come. But I'll try to give you um, the short answer from mm-hmm. the current standpoint. So the short answer is it's complicated. There are multiple factors feeding into this. I'll start maybe with, with the most friendly one is cultural and the mentality. 
as I mentioned, you know, German foreign policy has always been quite passive, you know, in the Bundesrepublik, the, the Federal Republic of Democratic Germany era since the war. I would say German foreign policy was basically speak softly and don't even think about carrying a stick unless the Americans say it's okay. And this is what three generations of German security and foreign policy people have grown up with. So part of it is this habit that people were very happy to let security be taken over and paid for uh, and taken care of by the Americans and by NATO. And, and now suddenly being faced with uh, uh, such a threat and realizing, oh, we have to do something is uncomfortable for some people. Right. That's just like the light version and the light uh, kind of a subjective social human elements, cultural element going into this problem. On the hard side, there is uh, straight up political and economic interests why Germany has been dragging its feet. Firstly, it starts in the chancellery and the SPD party, as uh, you and most of your, your listeners will know, the SPD has a long history uh, going back to the 1920s of closeness to Russia. And this long history of closeness with and collaboration with Russia in multiple forms over the last 100 years, in the last 20 years, has reached a point of complicity with Putin, Russia's crimes. And of course, it's not just the SPD. You know, Chancellor Merkel was, of course, CDU and the Grand Coalition of CDU and SPD, as well as um, the CDU government, were also responsible for this. But for the SPD now, under Chancellor Scholz, to admit that they were wrong in the lead up to this invasion and they were wrong since 2014 when the war started to accommodate Putin and to continue pushing for closer business times with Russia. For them to admit that they were wrong then, they would have to admit that they've been wrong for the last 30 years. And that's political suicide. Really interesting. And Jessica, I'm interested, what else do you think Germany could do to support Ukraine right now? Well, for starters, we need to ramp up our weapons production on the industry side, Ukraine is running out of ammo. Um, so on top of needing new weapons systems, new equipment, new vehicles, armored vehicles, tanks, etc., on top of all the new material needs, they also need ammunition. This is not just a Germany problem, this is Europe-wide, um, but as uh, Europe's largest weapons producer, our government would need to place orders with industry so that industry then can ramp up production. We basically need to put Europe on a quasi-wartime uh, production footing to meet Ukraine's needs. Secondly, and thankfully beyond governments and the weapons deliveries, there is so much still that the German public, uh, German civil society and uh, and industry can do. Everybody's got donor fatigue after a year. I know, <laughs> we all do, um, but we need to keep going. And so um, on top of all these uh, political uh, expediency that we need on weapons delivery, munitions and aid, also the public even just by continuing to show solidarity, inform yourself about Ukrainian history, whatever you can, even if it's just a little bit, whatever you can afford, set a few euros aside a month, call it a coffee a month. If you can afford more than a coffee a month, make it more. But whatever you can do, don't drop your attention, don't drop your focus, because this war only will go away. This will only be over when we help Ukraine end it. And so if we don't want this to turn into the proverbial World War III that drags on for years, resulting in millions of casualties, then we have an opportunity to end it this year. Here at The Local, we like to give tips that make life in Germany that little bit easier for us all. 
And we'd be very happy to hear from you, our listeners, on this. So if you do have any Germany life hacks, please email us at news at the local.de and we'll share them on our podcast and on the site. So Sarah, what is your top tip this week for thriving in Germany? Well, for thriving health-wise, I definitely recommend using the website Dr. Lib, especially if you need an appointment with a specialist because it's a portal where you can quite easily type in the type of specialist you need. You can filter but by which kind of insurance you have and where you live. And yeah, you, you can often find a lot of appointments that you can book online and often within the next week. So that can really be like an absolute godsend if, if you're in desperate need of seeing an osteopath or a dentist or yeah whatever it is you need. Yeah, something really weird is that what I recently tried to make an appointment at a specialist doctor and they referred me to Dr. Lib. So, you know, you, you never hear about Germany moving towards the internet and the future, but that must be the future. Yeah, you know, Rachel, more doctors or specialist doctors practices. I'm even seeing a sign, make your next appointment on Doctolib. So I guess it's a slow sign of the country becoming more digital, if you can believe it. Yeah. And Rachel, do you have a tip for us this week? Yes. My tip is also related to something digital, which can make your life a lot easier. So Germans are really obsessed with post. Um, and I've always found this weird as, as an American because um, instead of getting email notifications or even just a phone call about something really important, they'll send you everything by post, even post telling you that more post is coming your way. And it would always frustrate me because sometimes post would be delayed or I'd be on holiday. And a couple of times I miss paying an important bill on time because I just simply didn't get the mm. letter on time. Um, but then I found out that there's a post in DHL app related to the postal service. And you can actually get a free notification um, telling which post has been sent to you, including a photo of the envelope itself. And the service is called Brief Ankundigong, which is basically a letter notification, and it notifies people in advance about incoming letters, postcards, and magazines. So it's definitely a lifesaver, I would say. Yeah, really interesting that it's funny because one of the scariest things about living in Germany is checking your mailbox, <laughs> especially yeah. if you've come back from holiday or something and you dare to look and just if you somehow have forgotten to pay a bill and you already have a manung like a reminder it's it's yes. actually terrifying yeah it's <laughs> horrible yeah yeah that happened when i was away for a month and i had two of these manung in but i had no idea and i thought okay i've contacted the woman by email asking her if i had any notifications she never wrote me back um, but then i found this in my inbox so if i had had this app then i would have known Yeah, really good tip. And this week, guys, my tip is, I'm, I'm really like sorry to say it because it's so basic, but it is always have about 50 euros of cash on you. And I have been caught out recently where I didn't have cash or an ETSE Karte, as people love in Germany. I don't have this EC card. I still don't really understand what it is, <laughs> even though I've been here six years. I just think that you should just always try and have 50 euros. Once it gets down to maybe 20 euros, get, build it up again, because you never know when you're going to need cash. You usually need it a lot. It's true. Cash is still king. Even if here in Berlin, a lot of places claim that they'll only take credit card, you'll offer and find that you'll go to a place where you think you can pay with card and then they'll say, hey guys, this is Germany. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I also have one bonus tip, and it is to check when the school holidays are in German states because they differ. So at the moment, I think Bavaria, Saarland and Saxony are on their like winter holidays at the moment. And it's, it's different in each state. And that can affect, for example, traffic or the price of hotels or travel. So just keep an eye on when the states are on holiday. That's a good tip. Yeah, It's a really good tip. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we'll add the links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. Thank you to this week's panelists, Sarah McGill and Rachel Stern, and to our guests, Jessica Berlin, and to our sound engineer, Reese Edwards. We're on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus. And please leave a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back again next Friday. Until then, take care. 